In this episode, we'll be interviewing Mary Flanagan, marketing expert with over 20 years experience. Currently, she's the head of business development and marketing at Grant Thornton, where she's been for six years. Her experience spans across a wide range of financial institutions, such as Clayton Oots and Deutsche Asset Management. She was also a lecturer at UNSW with the highest student approval rating. This makes her probably one of the best guests to have on the podcast to talk about and advise students who want to get into the professional services marketing uh, industry. On to the episode. So welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, so just the first question, um, taking us through your academic journey, so taking a few steps back, um, could you please kind of start with your choice to study, I think it was law at mm-hmm. the University of Dublin, and then pursuing a master's in marketing. So if you could just tell us a bit more about that. Sure. Um, I come from a family of lawyers, so it um, it was very natural choice for me to to look at law. And to be honest, we had nowhere near as much choice as you do currently. So it was really law, science, arts, med, vet. Um, I really enjoyed studying law. Interestingly, my favourite subjects were criminology and jurisprudence. So philosophy of law, psychology of um, crime. But I had a, a girlfriend who was studying marketing and every time we went out, I'd chat to her about what they were talking about and um, there was something about the psychology of the, the sales process and marketing mm. that really attracted me. So things like, um, you know, buyer behaviour and why people buy and why we get post-purchase dissonance and uh, feel regretful after a big purchase. And she told me about the master's degree program that was happening in Manchester. And it was actually designed for people who hadn't done any business background. So it was a really unusual new course. So Mm. the people in my class, there were about 15 of us, came from geography, music, arts, law, um, anything but business. And they were trialling, translating... um, other backgrounds into a marketing right, uh, okay. discipline. And do you feel like studying law before uh, doing a master's of marketing, do you feel like that's helped you in your career? Hugely, yeah. So I've specialised in professional services. So yeah. I've largely worked in law firms, accounting firms. Uh, I've done some education, some international banking, but particularly working in law firms, being able to reference back that I had a law degree gave me a degree of credibility with lawyers that made quite a difference, particularly early on in my career when I was younger. Um, Do you think that it's important for students who are doing marketing to, so for example, you had that kind of specialty in law. Mm. Um, Often it's interesting to think like, is it useful to just do marketing? Do you need that kind of specialty in one industry? Is that always is that something that you should be looking to structure your studies behind? Not necessarily your studies, but more um, what studying law and working in law firms gave me was an understanding of their marketplace right. and an understanding of how lawyers think a little bit and what's important to them and that sort of thing. So I think it actually goes to, if you want to specialise in a particular area, that you get a real commercial understanding of that environment. Right, um, so kind of working in the environment. Working yeah. in the environment, speaking to people in the environment. If you want to work with accountants, you need to understand audit cycles and yeah. you need, uh, if you work with the restructuring part of the business, you need to understand the triggers for insolvency, that sort of thing. Yeah. So one thing I would particularly say is to understand the commercial environment you're going into. Awesome, perfect. Uh, and kind of, 
with your studies in Dublin, do you think that that provided you with kind of different, I don't know, maybe a different perspective when you came to Australia and worked or uh, culturally or just in general studying in a different um, country? Or it's all kind of pretty similar? Actually, it's in, it was in very interesting studying in England as an Irish person in the 80s. Right. So um, <laughs> one of the things I found, we had students from all over the world, yep. uh, but there was generally only one accent that was ever imitated, and that was the Irish <laughs> <Yeah>. one. Um, <laughs> there was a really interesting cultural balance thing to... Yep to work out to what extent do you dig your heels in and say, um, I think that's a bit appropriate to tell a leprechaun joke, um, or to what extent do you roll with that? And um, one of the things I loved about Australia when I came here was the much more multicultural environment. Um, So you kind of, it's just a mix of so many backgrounds that nobody takes much notice. Yeah, awesome. Well, I guess there's lots of Irish here anyway. Um, So awesome. Students that you said, um, we often get... Uh, in terms of marketing, we often don't do, uh, like, for example, business-to-business marketing, things like mm-hmm. that. We're often taught um, just consumer marketing. So kind of for people interested in maybe getting into professional services, what do you think are the main differences uh, between kind of marketing in professional services and, for example, uh, Nestle, marketing Kit Kats, sure. for example. You'll have to be very careful here because this I'll nerd out now because this is my specialty area. Okay. It's what I did my master's <laughs> research on and, and it's what keeps me continually interested in professional services. It's the intangibility. Right. So basically, um, you can't touch it or feel it and a service is, is uh, created and delivered at the same moment. So if you think about... Uh, you might be a very large organisation and you have to be audited every year. It might cost you three, four hundred thousand dollars to be audited. What's produced is a PowerPoint, um, you know, a, a maybe a 70 page document that's attached to an email mm. and that costs you three hundred thousand dollars. So what we have to do from a marketing perspective is to is to uh, convince the customer, that the value of that is there. So if you can't touch it or feel it like you can a Mercedes or um, or a bar of chocolate, then how do we create value around it? That's right. Or how yeah. does the sales cycle um, So it's almost happen? more sales intensive. Um, it's, it's very relationship intensive. Right. So you really have to develop the relationship first before you can sell the, the product, if you want to call it a product or service. Yep. So... Um, that's the main difference, in in my opinion, and and professional services particularly. Still, the, there's a little bit starting outbound sales. We're doing it in our organisation, but largely it's the partners of a firm that will sell the service. Yep. But they're not marketers they're not. or salespeople. So we have to coach them and work with them and help them to deliver that value and the the to make tangible what's intangible when they're in front of the client. Mm. And that can be very challenging. Um, so to skip forward a little bit to the, the nine things that the university talks about, influencing in professional services is probably the key skill that you need to have. Yeah, so it's not so much, it's not so much kind of your marketing mix. It's not, um, you know, there's not so much kind of uh, promotion. It's more about talking to the right people and kind of not only shaking hands with the right people, but influencing them to sh- to 
demonstrate that your service provides enough value to their business. Correct. Yeah. Um, look, all the elements of the marketing mix are still there. You need yep. to price in a way that's suitable to your market. Yep. You need to promote it. You need to build a brand. Um, you need to build brand credibility in the same way that you do with a tangible product. Uh, the difference is you, you have to bring in people very heavily. So the relationship that's there is going to be very strong. And you also have to really understand the um, the the trigger points for your uh, customers. What's going to, what at what point in time are they going to need your service? Because let's face it, um, you know, if it's, if you're in a pharmaceutical mm. business, for example, you've got a tangible uh medical product that people are going to need at, at regular intervals with services they don't necessarily need them all the time right. or regularly so yeah. you have to work out what the trigger points are so almost kind of the customer journey and how, how to keep them back in really really important to understand the customer journey and the decision making and your buyer profiles yeah right awesome uh, so just moving on i think something that popped up when we kind of asked students for, for questions was uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and kind of how uh, we hear a lot, for example, um, professionals saying that, look, I don't know what I would give an entry-level marketing student now because I just ask ChatGPT to do it. Or I just get, um, for example, you know, all of your captions, all of your, any anything kind of um, creative related is now kind of automated. Uh, mm-hmm. So things like that. What would you, what would you say how, how is the industry changing in terms of that landscape? And as um, what, what's advice that you would give students mm. to kind of get in front of that? Look, certainly in, I think there are some areas of the marketing process that AI, as you say, cr- creative areas, um, or, you know, write me a caption for XYZ. I think that the thing to remember about artificial intelligence is it's gathering information and it's only as good as, as the information that's being gathered. You have to have the ability to analyse that information, make sure it's relevant to your audience yeah. and um, add value to it. So I think um, not to be too afraid of it, but actually integrate it into your learning, integrate it into, I think businesses, we're integrating it into our business. So a good example of that is we have partners who specialise in different industry areas, for example. So mm. if I'm going to meet a partner who's about to pitch for a very big piece of work in the food and beverage industry. I'll just say, give me the key uh, issues in food and bev at the moment um, in Australia, and I'll get a quick summary of that. So I can chat through that with the partner. However, what they do with that in terms of discussing it with the the client or prospect, that's where the value comes in. So my suggestion would be understand it, see how it's developing, and then seek to to integrate it into whatever roles that you're looking for. In prof services, it's unlikely at this stage that entry-level jobs are going to be overtaken by AI for quite some time. Awesome. So, um, for example, maybe in terms of the way students could... uh, prove to employees that they're integrating that into their own kind of skill set. What's an example of something that a student might be able to do, maybe using augmented reality, uh, sorry, artificial intelligence um, in a project, things like that? Like what's something that you might be able to suggest? So if you can demonstrate that you've, um, if there's an area of particular interest, for example, so use 
ChatGPT, if you want to use that uh, medium, to do the background research, to do the the dump of information and statistics, and then demonstrate how you've taken that and you've analysed it and you've turned it into something of value to the reader. Yep. So one of the things that I find whenever I do a, a you know a quick um, spit out X Y Z research is it's often very long winded mm. and it's very um, generalist language. You can often spot that it's it's generated yeah, by AI because yeah. there's always a difference and that's where um, that's where your ability to to edit to to distill is really important so yeah. you can you show that you can take a, a broad brush piece of information work through what's going to be key to your reader and then distill that down so one thing that's uh, becoming very apparent in marketing and in business is our attention spans are just reducing. I think it's actually less than the goldfish now. <laughs> so what I get all the time from partners in any aspect of the work we're doing is um, just give me enough to be dangerous. So yep. they want a very short email. They want an email if they're going to read it. That's just one screen and hopefully just a couple of bullet points. Takes quite a lot of skill mm. and quite a bit of time to distill information. Anybody can dump a whole heap of information on a page, yep. anyone, um, and that's what AI can do. But your skill to bring to it is to be able to take that and turn it into a valuable message so for your reader. Understand the value of what you're looking at, uh, and then uh, absolutely, yep. and understand it in the commercial context yep. that you're you're writing it in. Um, understand it in terms also of what's important to your reader. So, uh, again, back to that point I made earlier, influence in prof- the ability to influence is the key thing in professional services because you will have partners who are your salespeople generally going out and talking to the client. So you're asking them to behave in a different way yep. in order to be successful in selling the service. Perfect. So, guys, it's you can sleep well at night. Your job's not being taken by artificial uh, intelligence. Um, awesome. So uh, the university integrates... The, we have the nine graduate qualities uh, within their learning outcomes. In your opinion, which two qualities do you think, and if you want, I can show you the, the I had, qualities. I had a read um, Which two do you think are the most important for kind of a successful career uh, in marketing and how can students work on developing those skills so they can, yeah. Yeah. So the first one is one I've mentioned already, um, and that's the ability to influence. Yep. So the ability to understand what's driving your listener or your uh, the person that you're advising or that you're developing a campaign for or trying to persuade to buy, uh, the ability to influence them to change their behaviours in order to get a better outcome. Yep. So how do you develop that skill? I think it's really important to do things like, um, if you play football, uh, join the committee of the football club. See how decisions are made. Mm. See how the decision makers gather information. uh, See how they look to the future, how they develop plans, all that sort of thing. So you can learn your place in that at a, um, often it's really good to do it at a volunteer level because you can uh, try and fail and then try again and then get better at it before you get into the work environment. Right. Yeah. So, um, so like understanding how to work in a structure, uh, uh, you know, in an organisational structure, yep. for example, in a sport team or uh, a university club society. Uh, absolutely. Or um, 
even in terms of social societies and things like that, develop the ability to understand where the where does the power lie, yep. uh, who's making the decisions, and it's not always necessarily connected to the title. Right. That's one thing I've learned yep. through my career. Um, understand what's driving people to make decisions, and that then will apply not only to the customers if you're working in, in product marketing, but it will apply to the people you're working with um, in professional services like partners and directors and trying to that get them to go out and sell. So what's important to them? Um, how are decisions made? And how can then you influence the outcome uh, that's, that's coming there? There was another one around, um, I think, on the list of integrating... Uh, uh, interdisciplinary yeah. effectiveness. So, being able to to put together and synthesize a number of different perspectives or pieces of information, or or combine the commercial environment with the uh, internal environment that you're working in, and come to an understood outcome is really really important. How we describe that in our business is co- is commercial acumen. So if you, as I said earlier, if you work in accounting, then you need to understand the, um, the legislative environment and the regulatory landscape so that you are demonstrating to the people that you're working with that you understand their commercial drivers. Right. Because if you go into, let's say you get an entry-level marketing role in professional services, mm. you can really stand out by not just knowing about how to develop a good marketing campaign, but understanding that the outcome you need from for that marketing campaign is you know the commercial outcome of selling more services, uh, building a partner's practice, developing our profile in the f- a particular industry. So understanding the commercial overlay of what you're doing is really important. Right. Can't can't stress that highly enough. So not so not only understanding what your role does, but how yep. your role impacts the in- the, the business. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so a recommendation that I would overlay on that is when you get into any new role or even if you're looking for roles, find a mentor. Mm. Find, um, it might be, it could be somebody that you studied with who was in third year when you were in first year. It could be uh, perhaps um, a partner you get on particularly well with or uh, just get tap into people with more experience all the time. Um, I have found time and time again in the early stages of my career, I thought I should know how to do it all myself Mm. um, and would stay quiet when I had no clue how to do something. Now I'm forever asking people, um, how do I do this or how can you help me do that? Everybody is happy to talk about their own skill set. And so find people who will share information with you and just ask lots of questions. Be curious curious. Do you have any examples of kind of maybe stories of mentors that you've had or kind of how those graduate qualities that you were talking about have uh, helped you in your career? Um, it, funnily enough, probably my most powerful story is not having a mentor. The very first professional services role I went into in a top tier law firm in Sydney, I was very unprepared for. Mm. So I didn't really understand how commercial environments work and neither had I ever managed a team. 
So um, I floundered pretty badly in the first <laughs> year um, because I believe very strongly that if you're going to be managing people, you have to be taught how to do that. It doesn't come naturally to most people. And yep. that's a, a misapprehension that many people have, that I should be able to manage a team. And I didn't understand that whole thing of corporate decision making and where the power really lies. So I finally found myself a mentor about 12 months later and they helped to, um, they basically sent me back to school. Mm. but kind of practical school, yep. go and learn how to manage a team, um, go and understand how to scope a commercial environment um, and set me up to meet with various partners who helped contribute to my understanding of what I was doing. So um, it was a pretty ugly 12 months, but it, it improved hugely once I found somebody that I trusted to take feedback from. And that's the other thing. It's not going to be everybody. It's And it might not necessarily be your direct boss. Mm. Uh, yep. But if it's somebody that you're prepared to sit down and take feedback from and uh, learn from, then that could be hugely powerful. And I guess that kind of links in with uh, influence, mm-hmm. where you kind of learn also how, uh, where influence lies and in, in the politics of, I guess, corp- uh, corporate corporate life. Yeah. yeah. Look, one, if you if you're constantly asking yourself in terms of the person you're trying to influence. What's in it for them? What What's their objective? What's their goal? And how can my capability, understanding and knowledge help to contribute to that? So in, in my role with partners who are trying to build practices and to develop credibility in the marketplace, I just need to understand what makes them tick, yep. how they like to behave. Um, we help them with what an ideal client profile looks like so that we can help them go after the right clients rather than flounder around um so understanding your listener is really very important and one final thing i'll say often about marketers is we can get very caught up in jargon yeah we understand what we're doing we understand sales life life cycles ideal client profiles um campaign management uh, martech all that sort of stuff Generally, in my business, the listener has no clue what you're talking about. So your ability to translate your technical capability into language that they know and understand and respond to is is huge. Yeah, it's really important. Okay. Uh, And also, I think uh, you were talking about kind of a shift in the professional servers towards sales. Mm. Um, If you just wanted to talk about that. Sure. So in my experience, the accounting firms have always been... um, probably leading in terms of integration of marketing into what they did. Uh, law firms a little bit behind and then, you know, engineering probably similar to law firms. Right. So we've recently started to look at taking a degree of the sales process away from the partners. So we work with the partners to identify what an ideal client profile would be. Yep. And then we go and find them and we go and start to... Uh, develop relationships with those potential clients and look to then bring in either a qualified lead to the partner or potentially take the um, opportunity through to where you would be proposing and you only bring the partner in to show that we were technically capable. So that's um, fairly different for professional services. And what what kind of benefit does that give, uh, for example, the partners not doing that themselves? Well, the benefit is that they have more time to spend on their uh, technical work. So the the tension that I've always had is that business that the business development part of what the partners do, it's not their first skill. 
and it's not their first great love. So yep. it's a very limited amount of time they can spend on it, which means I have to be as efficient as I can in the business development practices I get them doing. If they don't have to do much in the way of business development, as in find the client themselves, nurture the relationship and then get to a point of proposal, then I only have to bring them in at the end to to win the work effectively. So you're reducing the amount of time uh, and largely using technology to support that buyer journey up to the point of proposal. Awesome, perfect. Uh, and just some final qu- questions. We have some fun, more fun questions <laughs> here. I saw that one. <laughs> uh, so is it important to be good at golf oh, in a look, career in professional services? I've got to say I'm glad it's not because uh, I'm still at a stage where I'll only play with friends and family. <laughs> um, it would probably dent my credibility too badly if I got out in a golf course with, um, with anybody else. However, I, look, I think that's changing a little bit, but what it is important to if if the people that you're working with play golf, then no one understand um enough about it that you can have a conversation. So because what we do is all about relationships, um, I'm conversant in um, sailing and golf and AFL. I generally know the AFL ladder pretty well because our CEO is a Matt Collingwood fan. (laughs) So it's always been a point of connection with him. Um, I would just suggest that, again, it's about that commercial acumen, curiosity and understanding what's important to other people Uh, because once you do that and you have the basics of it, then you can start a conversation. So kind of that emotional intelligence as well. Absolutely. Yeah, relationship building. It's all about relationship building. Yeah, perfect. Uh, And finally, is there anything that you might change if you kind of went back to uni and and had had another go? Uh, Is there anything that you you do differently or not really? Uh, certainly academically, no. Um, I've been very, very lucky to still love what I do, yep. uh, marketing and professional services. Uh, what I would change, is I would change two things. The first is before I was put in charge of managing a team, I would make sure that I had developed some skills to do that because it's a, it's a hard job. Um, And I would have found mentors earlier. I would have been much more prepared early in my career to ask for help. Mm. So um, very much up in that independent thing of no I should be able to do all this myself but actually you'll generally find that people will give give help if you ask yep. so I think that would even through university actually that's something that I would significantly change um, be it from lecturers tutors other people in the class hey I don't quite get this uh, can you explain it to me um, that's probably the main thing I'd change but overall I'm I'm very pleased that I'm still here and still loving what I do I think thank you very much for, for, for being with us, Mary. It was really uh, beneficial, I think, to all the listeners and myself as well. Uh, so thank you very much. My pleasure. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Luke.